0: Not bad. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you this morning. I didn't get to give uh, my usual hugs to a lot of you uh, as I have a little bit of uh, thing going on in my chest. So I've been staying back. Front row here, I think you're far, far enough away. Uh, but man, I couldn't stay back from preaching Hebrews chapter 12 because this is an amazing section. So if you would, please open your Bibles to Hebrews 12. We're going to be coming through what is just an incredible portion of scripture. And as you know, we're drawing near to the end of the book of Hebrews. And I don't know about you, but for me, this uh this sermon series, this study through this book has been transformative for me. How about you? Pretty good stuff. I- I'm a little bit bummed that uh we're gonna be ending this book uh in just a few weeks. So we've got Christmas Eve service next Sunday. And then there's only three more Sundays in the book of Hebrews. Um, And it's been such a good book, but we are really excited about what's coming next for us. Um, We've got already uh, some plans for even our next couple of sermon series. So you're going to have to wait till after Christmas to find out what those are, right? Because you don't get to open presents before Christmas. Uh, But hopefully you're open to your Bible, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking today at verses 18 through 29. And these next 12 verses might be the most powerful and profound verses in this whole book. And it's hard to make that call because every single chapter has spoken about the greatness of Jesus. And so you can tell me what you think after this message today, but I think that this section is at the top in terms of impact. And It really feels like there's this strong conclusion that is drawn out here from all the things that we've learned this far uh, in this letter. And so it gives me just great expectation for how God's going to move here this morning. So are you guys ready for it? Hebrews 12, we're going to start at verse 18. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. And just, you're going to hear it. It's, It's such powerful words. So Hebrews 12, verse 18 says, For you have not come to what may be touched... and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time, that you are the mediator of a new covenant. And Father, we want to draw near to to you today because of your son, Jesus. We're grateful that we have received salvation in his name, and we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So Lord, we want to worship you today. Help us to do that in spirit and in truth. Thank you that you've welcomed us to draw near to you. We come confidently and boldly to your throne. We want to respond to your great love with reverence and with awe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Well, all throughout the letter of the Hebrews, uh, the writer has been convincing us that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses and Joshua and Abraham and and all those people that were mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Jesus has a priesthood that is better than Aaron's. He's established a better covenant that is based on better promises. He's a better sacrifice, a better hope, a better perfection. He's a better example. He's a better savior. There's just a myriad of ways that Jesus is better. And so the writer has been diligent To compare and contrast really all things up against Jesus. And here in our text today, he's gonna do that again, only this time he's gonna give us the picture of two mountains. Two mountains. He's gonna contrast Mount Sinai with Mount Zion. And these two mountains are going to speak figuratively about the ways that a person can approach God. And God is holy. God is perfect and just. And if we're going to approach God, there's clearly, as we see in this text, one way that is better than the other. We can come to God like those who came to him at Mount Sinai. Or we can come to God like those who have come to Mount Zion. And I'm going to explain throughout our text today what each one of these mountains represents. But starting here with Mount Sinai and all that that mountain represents, let's read again verse 18 to 21. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. There's a tone in these words, isn't there? And now the writer here, he's speaking to Christians. to people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, the the children of God that have been forgiven of their sins, reconciled to a holy and just God because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, And he's telling us, and he's telling you, if you're a Christian here today, that we have not come to what may be touched. If we become sons and daughters of God through Jesus, then then things are different for us now, right? We're very different, in fact, than what was experienced in the Old Covenant. We now have in the New Covenant God's Spirit who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But in the Old Covenant, right, that that wasn't the case. And God had appeared at many times and in many ways to the children of Israel, but there was this one time that was just totally unforgettable, and it was the time when the Jews were leaving Egypt, and they were passing through the wilderness, and they came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped at the base of a mountain, and that mountain was called Mount Sinai. And God's presence and his power appeared upon this mountain, as you could imagine, uh, Many estimate anywhere from a million to three million Jewish people there encamped at the base of the mountain, and here on Mount Sinai, God manifests his power and his presence upon this mountain, and this event is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 19, and because God's word always does a much better job at explaining sort of the scene than I'll ever be able to, I want to read from Exodus 19 from verse 16 to 21. I was even almost going to read uh, the entire chapter, but uh, my sermon would have been too long. And so I've cut it down to a few shorter verses. But I encourage you to go read those, the whole chapter. But starting in verse 16, this is what God says. It was on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up, and the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. How's that seen? And the writer here is reflecting on that event, and he describes it in these words, saying that the people could not touch that mountain that God had come down upon. The mountain had a blazing fire. The mountain had darkness. It had gloom. It had a tempest, this whirlwind upon it. And the sight of it was something that would have incited fear and trembling, and the people just quaked at at the sight of this, but it wasn't just the sight, it was even the sound that was so terrifying. The sound was the sound of a trumpet and who or what made that sound, we don't know. Maybe, Maybe it was an angel that blew this trumpet. As it says, there were tens of thousands of angels that came with the Lord, but there was this ominous sound that grew louder and louder, causing the people to tremble. And if the sound of the trumpet wasn't enough, to cause the people to feel absolutely terrified, there was a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. And that voice was the voice of God. We read that God spoke and he thundered out his 10 commandments to the people of Israel. And when the people heard God's voice roaring from this mountain, they said to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 to 21, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And that mountain in Sinai, with all of its sights and sounds, it was this fearful thing to the Israelites. It was this this sense of, we need to stay back. We need to back off. Do not touch this mountain or you will die. Do not come near to where God is. They could not even endure the order that was given that said, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. You know, that poor little goat that just doesn't know what's going on. It just walks on the mountain. Boom, dead. If a mountain or if a, if a, you know, I mean, keep your donkeys on a leash, right? Because if, if something goes even near to this mountain, it is death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that even Moses said, I tremble with fear. And Moses, if he trembled with fear, when he was the mediator, that God said, you can come on this mountain. I will speak to you as I speak to a friend. And, and if he was the representative of God to the children of Israel, it, and even he trembled. I mean, I, I think Moses brought a second pair of underwear when he went up that mountain. Really? Why? Moses was drawing near to blazing fire, darkness, gloom, tempest. And as he got closer, the sound of that trumpet grew louder and louder, and so terrifying was the sight, and so quaking was the sound that Moses is recorded as having said, I tremble with fear. Who wants to go to Mount Sinai? Anyone? No. I don't think that's the way you want to connect with God but this is god do you understand that this is god we're talking about and god you know contrary to what some people think is that god was really mean in the old testament and then he somehow got nice in the new testament no this is this is the same god that we worship this is the god who's the same yesterday today and forever and so but but there is something about what we see here about god in this old covenant manner is that is that this is the unmediated power and presence of God and you do not want to be in the unmediated power and presence of God. See, people often say that if, if God were to perform some cataclysmic sign for them, right in the sky their social security number with blazing flames, then I will believe in God. Really? I mean, how did that go for the Israelites, the people who feared God when they stood at the base of the mountain with all of those sights and sounds of, of fires and winds and tempests and all these things? And, and, and it was intended, right, so that they would not sin, but that they would live in obedience to God's laws How did that go? Well, 40 days later, the people melted all their gold together and fashioned a calf and danced around it and said, this golden cow is our God. No, we have not come to what may be touched. Mount Sinai is not the mountain that you want to approach God with. This is not your awesome mountaintop experience with the Lord. Mount Sinai is, Again, is what the unmediated presence of God looks like, and you do not want that. God is holy, God is just. And if you come into God's presence and power on your own, you die. Come to Him with just one sin, you die. Come to Him with 99% of your good deeds, you die. The unmediated presence of God is an awful thing, a fearful thing that you ought to tremble before. And that is what the people of Israel had in the old covenant, and they didn't want it. But we have something so much better in the new covenant. We have become the children of God. Both Jews and Gentiles alike, we come to this new covenant, and we find great courage and great boldness to approach God through the mediated power and presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our great mediator, and therefore we have come to Mount Zion. Look with me at verses 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Already you can hear the difference, can't you? I mean, I hope you can. I hope I didn't just... Terrifying and say, i got just got to leave this church. What's going on here? It's just so gnarly. Look, there's going to be such a strong contrast here where right there, probably first half of the message, you're just kind of like, well, I should have brought a second pair of underwear to church. <laughs> but when you come to this portion about Mount Zion, you can already see something's different. Something is lovely and inviting and approachable. There's this sense of welcome and acceptance. There's this call for us to come near. This is Mount Zion, the mountain that is so much better than Mount Sinai. Have you come to this mountain of God? If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, then this is the mountain that you have come to. Jesus died and rose again on this mountain, and it's here at this mountain that we find the good news. But you have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the name of the mountain that the city of Jerusalem is built on. There's a physical location in Israel known as Mount Zion. But as we've learned in Hebrews, all that was made in Jerusalem, including the mountains that God made, and the city and the temple that man made, everything that was made there are but a shadow and copy of the heavenly reality. There is a truer and more perfect Mount Zion in the heavens. A more permanent city whose builder and designer is God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And this is the mountain that we have come to. Instead of a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, notice how this mountain is described. It is described as innumerable angels in festal gathering. The assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven. God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenants, and the sprinkling, sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And this is the mountain that we come to by faith as followers of Jesus. This is our Mount Zion, our, our heavenly Jerusalem. This is our city, the place where God dwells with his people. Doesn't it make you want to lean in? Makes me want to say, what is that? I want that. Let's think about each one of these things that here is described about how we come to God at Mount Zion. We have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. The Bible teaches... That when one sinner repents, there is a party in heaven. That, that the angels rejoice and, and they're just having festal gatherings around the Lord all the time. And, you know, we, we've thrown some parties here in this church. Here's what I found. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we, we, we've thrown some parties here because... People have come into the kingdom of God, right? And and when one person comes to salvation, there's a party in heaven. You know, you've been to probably a lot of Christmas parties this month, I imagine, and you know, your best Christmas party is a boring shadow of what a party in heaven is like. In Mount Sinai, they, they had angels upon it, blowing trumpets, but it was a fearful thing. Mount Zion has angels that are too many to count, and they're just partying it up. And then we have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Now, the firstborn in Scripture is the one who receives the promised inheritance from their father. And and God has allowed us to become his sons and daughters by being adopted through Jesus Christ, that we have been united to Jesus, who himself is the firstborn of creation and the firstborn from the dead. And so in heaven... There's no grandchildren in heaven. And I'm a middle child. There's no middle children in heaven. There's only firstborns in heaven. And you become a firstborn of God when you come through Jesus Christ to your heavenly father, which means that you receive the double portion, the full inheritance, and you have this if your name is written in the book of life. The book of life is like this roll call of heaven. And there are names that are written in that book, and you want to be sure your name's in that book. Revelation talks about how these books will be opened, and if anyone's name is not found written in it, they will be cast away from God. But how can your name be written in the book of life? Only by believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Coming to him by faith, you then become a firstborn child of God in the assembly. And that word assembly is the word ecclesia; it's the church. So when you believe upon Jesus Christ, you become the church, the firstborn of God. And so when we gather here, that's what we're gathering into. We're the children of God with our names written in the book of life, and we rejoice in that. And then it says we come to God, the judge of all. The Bible teaches that it's appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. God is the judge of all. He he judges perfectly. And and nothing's going to escape God's judgment. Look at what it says, the judge of all. All means all. And let me tell you, there are two judgments. There's more than... Two judgments but the two judgments that we look about that are going to happen in the end one of them is called the judgment seat of christ also known as the bema seat and the other is called the great white throne judgment and those who will appear before the judgment seat of christ are those who have trusted in jesus christ they had their sins judged at the cross And so when they appear before this judgment, which we would consider it something more like a reward ceremony, those who appear before the judgment seat of Christ will receive reward for the works that they've done here in faith, whereas those who will appear before the great white throne judgment will be those who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, and they will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever. And so depending on the mountain that you come to is going to determine which judgment you'll come into. So you don't want to be judged by God's law. You want to be judged by God's grace. You want to come not to the great white throne judgment. You want to come to the judgment seat of Christ. And it really does come down to how do you come to God now? But notice what else we come to. We come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And the Bible teaches that each one of us has a spirit, and it is our spirits that will live eternally. And again, if, if you've had your spirit made perfect by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then, then you will live eternally in the glorious presence of God with all of the spirits made perfect. And spirits made righteous or perfect will then put on immortality and incorruptibility with our resurrected bodies, and we will live forever in God's eternal kingdom. I can't wait for that. But it's already a certain hope, and Jesus says, says we've come to this. You see, the law never made anyone Righteous. Mount Sinai made spirits tremble because the people understood that they were not righteous. See, the law is a tutor that brings us to Christ. The purpose of the law is to reveal to you that you are not righteous, that you are a sinner, that you'll never be able to attain perfection. And so the law reveals your need for grace. The law reveals your need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. And the only way that you can be made righteous is, is by that great exchange that happened where the righteousness of Christ was put upon you and your sin was put upon Jesus at the cross. For we have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And Jesus is the one who made this righteousness possible, right? He remembered that Mount Sinai was unmediated presence and power. But in Jesus, we come to God as, in a way where he mediates that power and presence. In the Old Testament, it said, stay away or you're going to die. The new covenant says, come near and you will live. That's why Jesus is so much better. And the new covenant is better. Mount Zion is so much better. And so we've looked at each one of these things that are mentioned. But listen, there is no festal gathering. There is no enrollment in heaven. There is no safe judgment. There is no righteousness for spirits. There is no mediation with God without the shedding of blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And that's why Jesus died on a cross. Jesus died on a cross to be the perfect blood sacrifice for us. Jesus mediated the new covenant when, when, as early in Hebrews, it says that he went into the true holy place with his blood. And by the eternal spirit, Jesus offered himself to God without blemish, thus purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We sing a hymn here that we believe is absolutely true. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We have to be washed by the blood of Jesus if we want to come to Mount Zion. It is the only way. Now, there's a reason why, as it says here, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And Abel, we learned about in Hebrews 11, was the son of Adam and Eve. And he had a brother who was named Cain. And and Cain and Abel were uh, told by God to bring acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. And Abel brought a blood sacrifice of an animal, and Cain brought a grain sacrifice. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice, and he rejected Cain's sacrifice. And Cain became envious of his brother because he chose himself not to bring the offering that God had required. And so what did he do? He rose up and he killed his brother Abel. And we're told that God then could hear the blood of Abel crying out from the ground, And what was the cry of the blood? Well, it was a cry for justice and vengeance. And Jesus died in a similar manner to that of Abel because out of envy, Jesus was killed because he was a more perfect sacrifice. And on the cross, when Jesus died and his blood was shed, it's as if his blood also cried out and God could hear the cry of his son's blood. Yet the cry of Jesus' blood was a different sound than the cry of the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cried for justice and vengeance. The blood of Jesus cried out for mercy and grace. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word over us. And because his blood speaks about our forgiveness and Jesus is the sacrifice that is so much better than even the animal sacrifice that Abel brought, Jesus speaks a better word. And it speaks to us about how we come to Jesus by faith. Now, this is our Mount Zion. This is our heavenly Jerusalem. This is the city. You know, the the Bible begins in a garden and it ends in a city. And and with a city where, it's the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And if you've not come to this place yet, this much better place, now's the time to come. God will gladly receive you as you come to Jesus and you tell Jesus, I want you and I need you. I need your mediation because I want a relationship with God. Now, I don't know what you think about all this. I think it is the best news ever. I believe this truth with all of my being. And and this message beckons me to draw near to God. But I, I understand, as I've just spent this time going through verse by verse, even word by word, looking at what we're being called to draw near to God. And I understand that there's some people who may hear these words and just like, meh. Maybe it's not an outright refusal, but it's certainly an apathy. Or maybe for some it is a refusal. And the writer of Hebrews understood how that could happen and he warned about it. He warned about that slow drift. He warned about that neglect. He learned about that rejection. And he's telling us do not be those, in verse 25, it says, look at verse 25, it says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So anyone who can think clearly about a contrast of two things will see that Mount Zion is so much better than Mount Sinai. And the whole book of Hebrews has been speaking to us. If you've been with us over the course of this sermon series, you've seen that Jesus is so much better and Jesus has spoken to us. He is speaking to you even right now through his written word, and he's saying, Come, believe in me, receive from me eternal life. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And perhaps you've been refusing, you've been resisting God with a stubborn and rebellious heart. You keep saying, I'll I'll hear this, you know, I'll come to this church and listen to this pastor preach, and he seems to get really excited about these messages and stuff. And I'll come here because, you know, my parents make me come here, or my spouse makes me come here, and I just get dragged here week after week after week. But it's, it's, just, it's just really not for me. This isn't for me. And you've been refusing him who's speaking. And look, I, I don't take any great offense at this. You know, some, you know, You may think that it's like, gosh, what does this guy get so excited about the Bible for? It's like, you're not refusing me who's speaking, because ultimately, I'm not the one speaking. I speak the words of God. That's why I preach from the Bible from the very pages of Scripture, because I understand that you're not accepting my words, merely you're accepting the words of God as truth. And so, If you're here, and it's just like you just continually keep refusing to believe, and you've got this hardness of heart, and you've got this rebellious spirit that says, you know, this book that is supposedly living and active, you know, I just don't know about it. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? If Zion is better than Mount Sinai, and maybe for the first time here you've heard of these two mountains, you've never heard of these mountains before, but you're listening and you're saying, yeah, Zion's better than Sinai. If Jesus is better than Moses, and you wouldn't know Moses next to the Joe who's sitting next to you, I'm just telling you today, Jesus is better than Moses. If grace is better than the law, and the law was how I explained to you, uh, obedience to God's commands and no one has ever lived up to them, <laughs> I said, I'll listen to Moses. I don't want to hear from God. The law is makes you tremble, then the law makes you realize, oh you cannot do it, and that 's why you need grace. grace is better than law, so if Zion's better than Sinai, if Jesus is better than Moses, if grace is better than the law, if righteousness is better than judgment if if, if you can think just very simply and clearly about two contrasts then then all these things that Hebrews has been telling us so far are so much better in Jesus. But if you keep hearing this on earth and you keep refusing it, how will you phase when you stand before God in heaven? It's one thing to refuse bad news. It's a whole entire thing, entirely different thing to refuse good news. You know, we're coming into Christmas and how dishonoring and how hurtful it would be if somebody were to prepare this wonderful gift for you to receive, and you just outright refused it. And this is what God has done. He's, uh, he's put together this wonderful gift that he's planned before the ages in his son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for your sins and rose from the dead so that you can have an eternal life with God forever. And if you refuse that, I, I, don't, I just don't know why. So unless you're enrolled as a firstborn in heaven, unless you are a spirit made righteous by the shed blood of Jesus, unless you accept that God judged your sin when Jesus died as the mediator of the new covenant, you will not be joining the party with angels in heaven. But a fiery, dark, gloomy, and tempest fate awaits you. Actually, something so much worse than that Let's not forget what was said back in Hebrews ten twenty nine to 31. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses, which is a lesser thing, dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? But I say all these things, and I'm I'm concerned that you might be motivated by fear. Do not—and there's this healthy place of fear in the life of a Christian— As I said, God has not changed. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're going to see God's a consuming fire, and we've got to come to him with reverence and awe. We'll see that in just a moment. But but don't let fear motivate you. Let love motivate you. Fear isn't the best motivator for holiness. Love is a much better motivator for holiness. So look to Jesus who loved you so much that he died to save you and come to Mount Zion. Now verse 26 says, at that time he shook the earth, but now he had promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So God has always had an eternal plan of redemption. And he shook the earth when he appeared on Mount Sinai. We we talked about that earlier. He even shook the earth when Jesus gave up his final breath on Mount Sinai. There was earthquakes there, and, and the earth has been shaken at many times in many ways, but there's this once more shaking that God has promised, a, a shaking that is coming that has not yet happened, but it, it's been promised that not only the earth will be shaken, but even the heavens will be shaken. And this is a promise out of Haggai 2.6, and you can go and read what's going to get shaken. And what does shaking do? Shaking brings down things that are not secure. We're, we're Californians, right? We know what it's like to go through an earthquake. And when, when the earth shakes, things start falling to the ground, especially if they're not solid or secure.. Bless you. And there is a shaking coming that will shake not only the whole earth but the whole heavens, And, and what will it be like? I, I don't know, but it doesn't sound all that great. I mean, it's going to be a huge shaking. And therefore, I want to be sure that what I have uh, put my hope and my trust in are the things that are solid and secure in life. And so it says in verse 27, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. I don't know how much you need for me to interpret that for you for you to get it, but what's really safe in your life? What is what is really secure? What are the things that can be shaken, and what are the things that cannot be shaken? I'll tell you simply. There are things in this life that are temporal and material, and there are things that are eternal and spiritual. There are things that can be touched, and there are things that are untouched. One will be shaken and the other will remain. And so what you put your faith in really matters. What you put your hope in, what you put your trust in, you want to make sure that it is secure You want to make sure that your house is built upon a sure foundation with Jesus as your rock, as your fortress, as your strong tower, where his word is the thing that will remain all through eternity. And your faith, which cannot be shaken, is what you value as the treasured possession where on Christ the solid rock you stand and all other ground is sinking sand, And verse 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, if this morning you have been receiving these words by faith, it's time to be grateful. We have come... To a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom of God is our eternal destiny as the children of God. Do you know what the kingdom of God is really? The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is ruling and reigning. There is a now and a not yet element to the kingdom of God. We pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We understand that the kingdom of God can be within us and we have received, it's not like we're we're waiting. There is a future promise of the kingdom, but it is something that we've even received now. And so let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. If this is telling us to offer to God acceptable worship. Do you know what that means? It means there's also unacceptable worship. Acceptable worship is reverence, acceptable worship is awe, which means that unacceptable worship would be what? Like apathy? indifference, refusal, rejection. And there is a reverence and awe that can be motivated by fear. I mean, that's, that's how the Israelites stood afar off on the base of Mount Sinai. But there's also a reverence and awe that is motivated by love that beckons you to come near through the mediated presence of and power of God through Jesus Christ. But for those who have not refused Jesus, he's saying, come to Mount Zion. And so with boldness and with confidence and acceptance and welcome and nearness, with love and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness, these are the things that we come to God and we we just revere him for. They leave us in awe because Jesus, the Son of God, has allowed us to come and worship God in a way that God says, I accept this worship. This worship that is in spirit and truth, this worship that is at Mount Zion, this, this worship that, is, that, is, that cannot be touched, but it cannot be shaken because we've received a kingdom. And so let's come to him today with a grateful heart. You know, preaching this message, I kind of knew going into it, this is kind of how it was going to be, where you could sort of hear a pin drop in the room. But we're about to worship Jesus. And a proper, acceptable worship on the heels of what we've just heard is to be in absolute reverence and awe of King Jesus. To not refuse him, but to draw near to him. And so I'm going to pray right now, and our worship team's going to come up, and we're all going to stand together, and we're going to actually join. We're going to join in with innumerable angels in festal gatherings. You know, the angels surround the throne of God and they sing day and night Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We get to join that worship. We are the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You know, Jesus sent out his disciples to cast out demons, and they came back to Jesus and they said, Jesus, it was awesome. We had all this power, and we were just drop-kicking demons in the face, and it was just awesome. We were just going at it, and we just this power and this authority that you gave us. And and Jesus says, do not rejoice in that, that, that demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. I mean, if your name is written in heaven and rolled with the firstborn, that is cause of worship. So we come to the judge of all. We come to the mediator of the new covenant. We come only by his blood and we worship Jesus. And so let's all stand up together, church, right now, and we're going to sing this final song in a true and acceptable worship.